What's up, world? Welcome to the Melanin Money Show, the official destination for personal finance, entrepreneurship, and wealth building for melanin millionaires. We will teach you the tools, the tips, the tactics, the hacks, and strategies you need to learn to become financially free so that you can be the wealth starter and legacy lever for your family. And I'm your host, George Action Palm, accompanied by co-host Jacqueline Shattuck and Carter Cofield. If you're ready to begin your journey to become a melanin millionaire, tune in, take notes, and let's go. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Melanin Money Show. We are really, really excited about today's episode. We know it's going to be jam-packed with value, a ton of gems. We got a chance to talk offline for a few minutes, and Carter had to put the brakes on it so that we could save some of the sauce for you Save it for the people, man. We got to save it for the people, bro. It was coming in hot. It was coming in hot. And so we got a really special guest today. I think she's gonna, you're going to learn a lot from I know you're going to learn a lot from her because we were learning a lot just in a short period of time uh, before we got the show started. So we are excited to get the show started so that she can take over and tell you all the wonderful things that she has going on and you can learn more about her. So with no further ado, Jitali, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be, you know, on the other side connecting with you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Doctor. Yeah, so I was, I was doctor. just about to say that. I'm like, yeah, the doctor, Put some please. respect. Put some doctor. respect on Doctor <laughs> Yes. Thank you. So excited Thank to you. have you. I'll be honest. You have a really, like, crazy dope background, okay? And this is coming from a certified financial planner. So one finance, you know, woman to the next. So you got into investment banking at, like, 15, right? Yeah, so I started out as um, taking like a, a career advancement program at 14, 15 years old. And from even then, I knew I wanted to get into finance. And so I interviewed with like Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse First Boston at 15. At and they were like, old. yeah, at 15. And so wow. they were like, well, you're the youngest person who's interviewed with us for our paid intern. <laughs> no, that was actually in the United States. Oh, and wow. so I actually did about two years um, of high school in the United States. Shout out to Jackson High School in Queens. So if you know Andrew Jackson, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary school. But, <laughs> <laughs> but because I was coming from the UK, um, the school had like all these divisions, like law and government and things like that. It made it sound mm. really posh. And then you got there and you're like, wait, I'm in the hood. Like, you didn't even know what was going on yeah. And so um, I did two years of high school here. And when I was doing that, I knew I wanted to go into finance because my stepmom was bad with money. And it just really made me like, I need to get into this money world. Like I need to know money. And so although I was the youngest person who was interested in that space, they were like, well, we can get you at 16 for your paid internship. And so for me, even though I knew it was like borderline insanity, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And so I patiently just did everything I had to do um, and to make sure that by the time I was 16, I was in a position to do my paid internship. And then they kept me. And so it was really cool because they were like, well, you're going to be graduating early. So do you want to just, you know, maybe start working with us? And when you're leaving school early, just come here and, you know, do the rest of the day, do half days. And so that's how I started. But I just really dove in. I, I really just leaned in because I was around these people who were multimillionaires, billionaires. And I was seeing the money they were making. And I was also realizing that there were these things like budgeting issues and things that I was like, wait, this is a problem. And I was learning about venture capitalism and I was learning about startups and options trading and ETFs. And 
So as I started learning about this world, I was just like, wait, sky's the limit, right? And mm-hmm. um, for a long time, if you had asked me if I was going to become an entrepreneur, I'd be like, no, heck no. Like, I love corporate world. I loved having a boss and someone telling me you're doing amazing, keep it up. <laughs> And, you know, I really did. I, you know, I, in a sense, was a worker bee without realizing I was a worker bee. So the little crumbs that they would give me, I was so appreciative of it because in a way it kind of framed me at a time where I was learning who I was becoming. And um, I just knew who I didn't want to become. And that allowed me to kind of avoid the pitfalls of what my, my mother figure was going through when it came to money and her relationship. Okay. So I'm, I'm blown away because when I was in high school, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but when I was in high school, I would go to class half the day, and then the other half of the day, I would go to Little Caesars. I wasn't going Little to Caesars. That was of my all the job. Pizza places to go to. That was my job. That was where I worked. Okay, okay, fair enough. Fair there enough. was no Goldman Sachs. No, none. So what? So you said spark that that your stepmom sparked your interest because you wanted to have better money management skills. But what set it off for you that was like, oh, big bank? That's where I need to be. So, all right, to be clear, like my, my dad was really amazing with money. And when him and my mom, my mother figure passed, you know, separated, it was because she was overspending his money and he was like, you're not going to make me go broke. And then in that time frame, from the ages of six and a half to like eight, eight and a half, I saw her live borrow to borrow, one minute in a posh neighborhood, the next minute living in someone's basement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I remember there were days that she would go to work and leave me as a seven-year-old in the house like let's say it was summertime I came to visit her she would Mm. leave me in a house with legit no food and so I came from like my dad we had that steak and lobster life and then you go to like Brooklyn New York and my stepmom or my mother figure she was more like okay um I forgot to get groceries and I would like literally have bread and like sugar water and so I really got to see that extreme poverty or that aspect of someone who I would watch like go gambling and bring me to these like slot machines like these hole in the walls behind like a bodega and you go in there and there's a slot machine and she's like I'm gonna make my money back it was just like bad things that was just like you know people talk about but I got to experience and so just seeing that raw nitty there was this program called the development school for youth DSY which I'm not even sure if it's around any longer but they came around to a few different schools and when they came and I actually came across their program through one of my cousins who's they went to Mm -hmm. I was like you know what this looks really interesting and they're like oh they'll teach you business etiquette and things like that so I reached out to my dad and I'm like well I know you taught me a lot of these basics could it hurt to do it and he was like well it says it's going to put you in a paid internship when by the time you're done Melanin Money presents Black Wealth Friday on Black Friday people of color spend more than 1.5 billion dollars we want to turn the largest spending day of the year into the largest wealth creation day of the year From November 22nd to the 29th, we want you to join us in investing a small portion of your normal holiday spending budget into your future. Head on over to BlackWealthFriday.com for more details. It's Melanin Money's Black Wealth Friday. Turn your spending into investing for your future. And so when I submitted, they were like, well, we don't have anyone this young, but if you interview well, um, we'll think about it. And so when they right. took me onto the program, I was the, I ended up being the youngest person to join the program. And when I first started, I was 13 years old. But Jeez. like even at 13, I just knew like I knew what the struggle life could be, right? And I knew what I did not want to be. Yeah. And so that was like my biggest motivator. Is like I think fear can cripple you of what you don't want to be can cripple you. 
or it could really like you know pressure bust diamonds bust pipes or create diamonds so it right. for me it wasn't gonna bust my pipes because i just knew like i saw the good life and i knew i wanted to continue that good life right i wanted to be able to keep traveling and going on trips and things like that that my dad had done for me but i also knew that i had a parent that was showing me that there is a whole other side and you can't you can't depend on a particular person or a human being to sustain your lifestyle because at the end of the day nothing's promised to you yeah so you know that's interesting because it's almost like some people have either one or either or experience right it's like either you have a really sheltered life and it's like, okay, well, I only knew the good life. And that's good to get exposed to that. But then you have no context to what it could look like. And maybe that leaves you vulnerable, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't realize that there's a cruel world on the other side of things. But it seems like you had kind of like the best of both worlds. Well, and now, I mean, now, maybe in the moment when you were drinking sugar water, you didn't feel like it was the best of both worlds. But <laughs> no. in hindsight, right? It's like, okay, well, because of this extreme polarization of the good life and the not so great life, you have enough context to be like, you know what? I know what this feels like, and I don't want to go back. Whereas if you're kind of just like shielded from that, you don't even know that it exists. And then something could happen if you're not prepared and they can find, you can find yourself in that situation. So would you say having that balance was was a catalyst or very helpful for you in, in your evolution? 100%. And I mean, so even, you know, let's be honest, when you hit 18 years old and then you hit 21, like at 18, I was starting to make like, 50, 60,000. By the time I was 21, I was making like six figures. And so for me, I had these moments where there was a lack of balance because I was used to making so much money. And then it's like, your friends are like, well, we're going to take a private jet to go to Saint-Germain and St. Bob's. And I'm like, okay, about that life, I got some money. And you, you know, you get caught up in it. Right. And then I look at my coworkers who are in their 30s and 40s and they are living in these mansions and they have these Hugo Boss suits and things like that. And Georgia Armani suits and then guess what you especially as a woman in a male dominated world and then as a woman of color in a world that was predominantly Caucasian I'm going to want to rock the Hugo Boss and Georgia Armani suits too because I want to make sure I fit in um and you know I stopped wanting to fit in when I got to like around 1920 because I remember it was the simplest moment where this woman I was working with the Irish woman I was working with when I straightened my hair and I came into work she's like you look so much more professional with your hair straight mm. and I was like the next day I came back in my curls were back out right and um because <laughs> you know there's just, a, just enough black panther in me that I was like yo look fine what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but um you know those are the moments that I started realizing like wait there is a disconnect here and there's something that's missing um and then I also realized there was a bookworm like I didn't really know a lot of people of color who were in the finance space it's not like now where you know, there's Credit Suisse has diversity and inclusion parties and events yeah. where all the people of color can link up and meet each other. Like back yeah. then it was like on my floor, I mean, literally, even when I transferred to the UK, it got worse. But on my floor, there's like maybe one or two other people. Mm-hmm. And they were like in their 60s and I was in my 20s. And it's like big disconnect. And even yeah. when I left um, investment banking and then eventually I went to forensic accounting, I remembered like for almost a year, I tried to be like a... Uh, I, I ran a medical doctor's office. I was a secretary, just trying to like, thinking I was going to do light work and be able to figure out what I want to do next. And then I was like, wait, secretaries work harder than like, even the boss. And I was like, yeah. wait, this is like bare work. And you know, there's a misconception as to what it means to be a nine to five or a secretary or paralegal or these things. And then being in that space doing medical billing and all that, I was like, wait, this is a lot of work. And if I'm going to do this much work, I might as well go back into the corporate space 
and make some dollars, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and entrepreneurship wasn't discussed like that back then. You know, now it's like everybody it's in their mom is like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, you know? Um, but it was like, to me, that was like, what is an entrepreneur? You yeah. know, I didn't really have a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. And so I'm West Indian and West African and mixed with Italian, right? And so the West Indians, they tell you doctor, lawyer, attorney, you know, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, educator. Are you going to become a teacher, a professor, get your degree, get a PhD, or you're nobody. Then you go to West Africans or the Africans. They say, if you're not a medical doctor, if you're not a teacher, if you're not an accountant, if you're not, they all have the same. And then you go to Italian and it's the same exact formula. Become a doctor, become an attorney, you know, are you a barrister? And so I was kind of pigeonholed into believing like I had to get my PhD, not because I wanted it, but because I had to get it. And so for years, I was like in the school in a rat race and pushing against the grain. And now it's interesting. It wasn't until I became an entrepreneur and I realized, hey, my PhD might actually help me on an educational level to help more people that it made me be like, oh, I want to get my PhD versus feeling like I was obligated to get this. And so just that deconstruction of my mind, like I had to deconstruct to reconstruct and mm-hmm. decide who I was going to become and ignore the West Indian, the West African and the European sides of my family who were literally legit telling me like, yo fam, if you don't have these degrees, if you're not this person then you're nobody, um, you know, because entrepreneurs in my family and in those cultures tend to be considered to be nobody. So it's like, oh, like, what is your job? And your parents are lying about what you do sometimes, but they're like ashamed, you know, depending where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I remember I had a cousin who was in med school and transferred to, law, I mean, she was in law, med school and transferred to law school. And just because she wanted to transfer from med to law school, her family were like, we're going to disown you. And, sure. you know, like, and I was like, you're family. You know, she's like, that was on the Nigerian side of the family. And I'm Kay and mixed on the West African side. And so for her, it's like just, they were like, we already have an attorney in the family. We don't need another barrister in the family. We in med school. You need to go to med. We don't have any doctors. We, you need to go to med school. And, you know, just because she wanted to transfer, her mom was ashamed to talk about the wow. fact that she was leaving one degree. And I was like, this is bloody ludicrous. This yeah. was a lot of pressure. A lot. Yeah. yeah so you know. with, that, with that being said, right, because I feel like so many people get caught up in this sunk cost fallacy. Like, you know, where they have four years of high school and then four years of college and then, you know, three years of med school or, you know, four years to get their PhD, they become so um, addicted to their degrees. They feel like they're in too deep. Even if they're not happy, they're not going to make a transition because they, they spent too much, whether it's time, money, resources, and a part of the identity, right, is tied to that doctorate or that PhD. So I'm, I'm just... Um, um, want to be aware of how did you successfully make the transition from having all these degrees, having this job at, you know, one of the top banking firms in the world, having your PhD now and kind of letting all that go to move into this entrepreneurship. What's up guys. Have you ever been just like chilling on the couch and trying to find something to watch on Netflix and you're browsing, you're scrolling and you just can't seem to find anything that you either one haven't already watched or just doesn't seem that interesting. Well, I have the solution for you, because if you're listening to the Melanin Money Show, then I know that you care about taking your financial life to the next level. And that's exactly why we created Financial Flicks. So instead of Netflix and chill, you can Financial Flicks and chill and you can find on-demand videos across personal finance, wealth building and entrepreneurship. And right now you can test drive Financial Flicks for just a dollar by clicking the link in the show notes. Go to melaninmoney.com 
forward slash financial flicks and check out all of the on-demand videos we have, plus all the other features that you'll get access to by joining today. So um, two things. One, I will say, one of the things I tell my mentees all the time before they even ask me to be their mentor, I'll say, go grab the book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. So Mm -hmm. around the time that I was making this shift, I got that book and I read it. And that book was for me, like crucial. It was like, it came at a crucial time where I had became a mom. I was a new mom. And I had this imagination that I was going to be a hands-on mom and have this amazing career. And I was going to be, you know, doing all these things. And when, for me, I realized like, they still expected me to work 20 hour shifts as if I didn't have a baby at home. It was like, wait, hold on. This is not sustainable. I don't want a stranger raising my child. And so, you know, and that moment, and then I also, every time I would think about entrepreneurship and I would say, hey, I want to create Kids Food Bank. I want to do this, I want to give back. I would have people who were in the corporate space that I respected tell me, nah, don't buy into the hype, don't drink the Kool-Aid. You know, you're going to work more hours by being an entrepreneur. Um, if You're going to be broke most of the time in the beginning. But they don't talk about the fact that if you can get past that broke part, if you can get to the end of the rainbow, that there really is a pouch of gold, yeah? But it's mm-hmm. all about what is your work ethic and how much energy you're going to put into it. And so my first shift was really just putting the 20 hours that I used to put into that corporate space into myself. And as I started to yield results, actually congratulate myself for those results. You know, so if I had like when I started doing wholesaling and real estate, I was like, okay, you know, if I got 15 no's, but I got one yes, making sure that I congratulated myself and realized, guess what? Those 50 no's were zero dollars, right? They didn't charge you anything. It might've just been your phone bill that you had to pay to make those calls. But that one yes is $30,000. That one yes is 15,000. And so focusing on that versus the negative. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also just making sure that I realized like one, that if I didn't believe in myself, how did I expect anyone else to believe in me? And so when I kind of shifted that thought frame and realized like, okay, you're not believing yourself. Do you put 20 hours into your own work? And so when my mentees, the second thing I always tell my mentees is like, don't come over here if you're, if you're not ready to do the work. If you're not ready to lean in and have your eyes bleed and do it till you're, you're, you feel like your eyes are going to burst <laughs> and you're crying because you're tired, then you're not really, you're not really ready. And I tell my yeah. men, and they be like, what you tell you? That's not, I'm like, no, that's life. Like legit, for you to get to the point where you can go on vacation and get the first class flight and have the nice five-star hotels, you're going to have to go through this intermediary phase where you're going to literally legit be like, yo, coach on the back of the plane and you're going to, your eyes are going to be bursting and you're going to be doing the work and you're going to be putting in that energy. And if you're not willing to do it, then maybe entrepreneurship is not for you. Stick to your nine to five and nine to five is fine. As long as you're making that money, yeah? Just don't sell yourself too short, even in the nine to five space. So if you're going to stick to nine to five, negotiate a higher raise and stop complaining because you're still doing hours even in the nine to five. I don't know many people who work eight hours and stop exactly on the clock. They ain't making that much money. That's a fact. They're doing that. They ain't making that. If they're doing that, they're not making it. They're not making that overtime. (laughs) They don't really, you know what I'm saying? And even then you take the work home. And we don't realize even with that eight hour, when we stop the clock exactly at eight hours, we go home and we spend one to two hours complaining to our family about our day that we just had and our coworkers and whatever happened. So then you still technically, that's 10 hours in. Right. right. And then it takes back. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have 14. And yeah. There's yeah. no commute. Yeah. No, yeah. it makes, and then it you makes add a lot of commute. sense. So yeah. when you add the commute in, especially like if you're in New York, New York 
the Jeez. average person is doing 45 minutes to an hour to get to work, 45 minutes to an hour to come back home. That's two mm. hours. So you're two hours to get to work, eight hours in the office, probably nine hours if you add lunchtime. So mm. now you're looking at 11 hours and then you add the two hours that you complain about it when you're at home. That's still at least 14, 13 hours just on one day that is going to that. And you're supposed to be getting eight hours of sleep. Jeez. So when you take that same insanity and you put it into yourself, Mm-hmm. Yo, fam, there's no way you can lose if you put that same insanity into yourself. Complain about your own damn business branding yourself and right. watch your numbers go up. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you were real about it because we see so much stuff now about like soft life and quiet quitting and all of this stuff, which, okay, cool. But like, if you really want to get the success that you believe that you're entitled to, like that's not that's not the path. Like it's, it just isn't. And like I get, I I don't. Well, I almost say I get it. I see so many people talking about it. And I'm just like, well, one as a CEO, I'm just like, I wish somebody would be <laughs> quiet quitting and they get paid <laughs> first and foremost, right? But secondly, I'm just like, those would be the same people complaining about where they are not, but the whole time you're quiet quitting and everything is soft life. And it's just it's just not reality. Obviously, we're all working towards a life where we can have this autonomy and this freedom and all that kind of stuff for sure. But there's a process like the road to passive income is the furthest thing from passive. Right. And I don't even believe in passive income in and of itself. It's like there's varying degrees of activity. So I'm just so glad you said that. It's so refreshing because right now, like everybody is just like, it's so easy and life should be a breeze. And no, like, we're whipping off band-aids on over here. Like all my mentors <laughs> already know, like, if I'm going to put more, I'm not going to put more energy into you than you're going to put into yourself. That's a fact. And I'm not going to allow you to slack because I don't slack. You know what I mean? And when I do slack, it's because I've earned the right to slack. Right. And mm. so the, my biggest thing is understanding before I was 21, both of my parents had passed. So by the age of 21, knowing that now I have a kid, what if that's my legacy where before my child is 21, I'll be gone. So I operate in from that space of like living trust, right? Insurance, life insurance, business trust, understanding that, hey, any minute someone could be a hey and try to sue you. Do you have all your businesses incorporated, all your real estate under the same trust? So that once they know that one trust, now they can just attack everything and ruin a legacy that you were creating at one shot. You know, like all of these, the layering, understanding like, hey, if you made 1 million, but you pay 33% in taxes because you did everything under your personal, then you really didn't make 1 million because now you have $330,000 in taxes to pay back and, you know, or $200,000 in taxes to pay back because you wrote off some stuff, but not enough. And so then meanwhile, you're looking at the Apples of the world and the Googles of the world, and they made like billions of dollars and they paid 0%. If anything, they had the government giving them more money to continue the work that they're doing. And so for me, that is how we stop the generational curse of, oh, only one generation made some money off of what you did. The second generation don't know how you made it, but they they might have a little bit of it. And so I operate from a space and like, that's the thing. Like I always operate from that space of understanding that my son, he might be 18 and I'm gone. If you leave him $10 million or $10 million in debt, and he doesn't know how to manage it because let's be honest, when you buy real estate, if you have all these mortgages open, then you're leaving your child debt as much as you're leaving them assets. And so if they don't know how to manage the real estate rentals, if they don't have, they, if they don't have control over your property manager, if you don't teach them the financial literacy basics or how to trickle the money out and have like a living trust where it's like, okay, 
I might have, I might be gone. But by the time my child is 30, there's another 10 million being released to him. By the time he's 40, there's another 50 million being released to him. You know, mm. it's just changing the mindset because that's what Caucasian people do, realistically. Jewish, Thanks. Russian, whatever you want to be, German, you know, all these different cultures, the ones who are the most successful, that's what they do. They trickle it out. And they don't give you all your money at one shot. And then they have an attorney who's an executor to say, you know what? You say you have a business plan and you already spent the $5 million that we gave you for the last, to live the last year or two. Well, let me see the business plan. If it's a good business, we'll allow you to dip a little bit more into the money that you have coming out to you in the next few years so that your child isn't just dumbing out on their own. Um, so it's just like these little things just shifting the way we look at our relationship with money and even how we um, manage it. Yeah, I love that. So you made some of a shift from traditional investing products into more crypto, non-traditional. Can you share with us what that shift was like for you? Was that something natural that you should have just taken or were you kind of different in your peers and like, hey, I think I'm going to follow this this money here? Um, it was really just seeing people that I knew who were winning from it. And so like I met a person who made $84 million from a virtual concert. I won't name what celebrities were in that concert today to put all their coins out there. Yeah. But he literally took $750,000 equity out of his house and created this concert. He did a virtual concert with celebrities and some of the celebrities, and that's the reason why I won't mention the celebrity names or the, you know, because I don't want to put it out for the spot. But some of the celebrities didn't even show up to the event on the time when they were supposed to. So he had a fail safe where he pre-recorded them performing at this virtual concert. And then he had like fake staged um, avatars dancing. And then he had the celebrity stage, stage, you know, shout them out so that when the actual event happened, um, those fake dummies were there dancing and people thought that he was really shouting out people that were in the crowd. What's going on, guys? George Pong here, and I am the founder of Melanin Money, the number one brand for wealth builders of color. You know, I look at wealth building like a sport. In every sport, you got to have a uniform. And so what is the official uniform for wealth builders of color? That's where Melanin Money comes in. So if you go to melaninmoney.com and use code MELANIN15, you'll get 15% off your order of the entire store. And I think you're going to absolutely love our latest additions, right? It's literally a um, productized emotion of what it feels like to build black wealth, right? But you get to wear it. Um, you get to share the world, like your hard work that you're doing on this journey of building wealth. And we can't wait for you to join Team Black Wealth by shopping melaninmoney.com. And so when Jeez. I saw the simplicity of that and then noticing how he became his own bank. So in crypto, you can use like a liquidity protocol like Aave. So like he took $40 million of the money that he made, put it on Aave. So he lent it out, which means you don't pay tax the money that you lend out. Mm-hmm. And then he borrowed against it. You don't pay taxes on money that you borrow. And mm-hmm. with liquidity protocols, you can borrow up to 75%, sometimes 80% of the money. And so when I was watching this multimillionaire take this money and basically become his own bank in essence, and then took that money and bought investment properties um, and bought assets that were considered investment assets, such as he bought a potentially skeleton watch. And because he lent it out to rappers and videos, he was able to write it off. And then he bought a Lamborghini, but because he lent it out a certain amount of time throughout the year uh, for music videos, once again, he's able to write it off. And so there were things that he didn't have to pay taxes on. And so when I was really watching him navigate, I was like, 
bloody hell, what is this NFT crypto metaverse stuff? <laughs> and it, I mean, I just was like, I got to learn more about it. Like, I mean, I had a little Bitcoin. Um, I did see people that I worked at, you know, worked with and people that I were colleagues from like Goldman Sachs and Deutsche Bank. I knew older people who were traditional mutual fund stock people like myself who were in their 80s who were buying crypto like Bitcoin. Mm. And when I saw them buying Bitcoin, I was like, that was my first moment. And so that's when I started crypto because I was watching that. And then on top of that, I remember at the time, um, my husband at the time was like, we were talking about something and he's like, um, you know, Bitcoin is interesting. And he's like really left brain, like Virgo. He overanalyzes everything. So by the time when he was like, he's about to buy a, a hard wallet, a cold wallet, and he was going to buy Bitcoin, I was like, oh, wait, no. First of all, these old 80-something-year-olds are doing it. Now he's doing it. I was like, no, I got to look twice. And then by the time I started diving into crypto and then realizing that wait, this NFT stuff wasn't going to go anywhere, um, it was just, for me, it just made too much sense. Because coming from stocks and bonds, venture capitalism, startups, options trading, and then you realize, hey, you can use different websites where I see tools and things like that, where you literally can actually kind of time the market when it comes to NFTs and see what's trending and jump in. And you can also like kind of, you know, also understand like Discord, the communities and how they, they rock. I was like, oh, this is, this is just lit. And um, yeah. the more functionality they added, I was like, oh yeah. So I eventually created my own NFT. Um, although mine is more like sustainable charity type, you know, giving back. Um, but created my own NFT and was able to sell about 30 something thousand in just that alone. And I'd even promote it. And that was another mad thing to me. It was like, I'd even push it like that. And it was just my built-in community that was supporting it. And that was like another thing that was really great, I thought, because it was so decentralized in a space of everything is a transparent ledger. You know, I can't fudge my book sales. You know what I mean? You know, I can't sell. If I sell my books on the NFT as an NFT, can't, I can't fake that. If I sell NFT itself, I can't fake it. If one person's IP address or one person's wallet address buys everything, then it's easily traceable. Like, okay, she said she sold $36,000 of this NFT, but it's the same wallet address that bought all of it. So does that really count? But, you know, in the book industry, like, let's be honest, a lot of these publishing companies, a lot of these music industry companies, they're buying their own clients' tracks mm -hmm. so they can fudge the numbers so that they can get that next payday for their client. So part of the budget when you have a new artist or have a new author is buying a million dollars worth of their books for them so they can become the New York Times bestseller. And so don't, now you can't tell really people. Uh, <laughs> I'll fall back. <laughs> oh, please, please. We, no, we, we no, went no, all again. Yeah. yeah, you're keeping it like 1000% right now. So yeah. quick question about the, the crypto market. So it's obviously no surprise stock market's taking a heavy hit this year. And so is crypto NFTs. And so what are your thoughts on the correlation between the two? Because a lot of investors felt like, oh, you know, crypto market is somewhere that I can get, uh, you know, some non-correlated assets and it'll be great. And then you look at this year and it's like everything's down pretty heavily. So what are your thoughts on the correlation between the stock market and crypto market? So three things. One, keeping in mind that when you look at the correlation, the same people in big bank stock market you know, while these markets are crashing, they're the same one buying billions of dollars of Bitcoin, millions of dollars of Ethereum and jumping in right now. Cardano. In fact, uh, Pelosi and all of these, you know, there's a web, there are websites that you can go to to see people who are in Congress, what they purchase when it comes to crypto. And oh, they're buying yeah. Cardano. They're buying Solana. You know, so they're, you know, even people in, in office 
are buying these tokens and stuff like that. So one, the stock market going down and the crypto market going down, a lot of the people who are the major big guys in big bank who are buying it up in the stock market are buying it up in the crypto space too. So the biggest difference, the, the biggest difference is with this space is that one, transparency, you can see when they sell, you can see how much they're selling off mm. the bat. It's not like a delay. It's not next quarter. It's not at the end of the year, like in the stock market. It's immediately that you get to see this bank bought this much under this wallet address. And now they've sold this much under that wallet address. And so that's one of the cool thing, coolest things I like about it and the difference in the two worlds. Um, another thing that I would say is different is that even with the NFT space, certain NFT projects are still popping, are still doing their thing. Like the board apes and certain things, they might be more expensive to jump into, but then there's still small little flips and little paydays that you can still do, regardless of how bad the market is. But the biggest thing I think impacting both markets is that we're in, we're due, we're overdue for recession. Right. When you look at, you know, the whole time of this COVID and everything that's been happening, we were talking about a recession before COVID happened, right? We were talking about the Great Depression. The right. British market started suffering. We started having the Brexit issue over there. And just like when the Great Depression happened, people don't realize back when the Great Depression happened back in the day, the British market crashed and then the United States market crashed, mm -hmm. right? And then... So now it's like even 2008, when you're looking at the market crash, once again, we never fully recovered from that. There mm -hmm. was still a lot of rubbish happening in the, in the industry. We still have a lot of people who were losing their properties. Um, you know, there were all these companies doing pre-foreclosure foreclosures. Wells Fargo was being called out on the fact that they had all these illegal foreclosures mm -hmm. on people's properties and not really giving them a fair shot, telling them, you don't need an attorney. Just come, you know, pull out the paperwork with us and then. <laughs> Meanwhile, they had their own algorithm and numbers that they wanted you to basically put in for you to actually keep your property. And not most, many people didn't have the money to afford those attorneys. So then COVID happened. And then we created this whole bubble of, you know, no one can be kicked out. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a property owner, then if you have multiple properties, we're giving you enough money for the first property, but not for all the properties. And then you had people who were abusing the hell out of the system, who literally went for almost two years and not pay rent. Okay, so now you have this about to burst, right? Because I mean, how many how many more PPP loans and things were the government really going to do? They print money for themselves. They print money to give to Ukraine, but they're not printing money for us. Not like that. Yeah, they don't want to give us reparations. So if you're not giving us reparations, and you'll you know, it's like okay, if they finally do give us a hundred thousand dollars each per human being, we don't even have the financial literacy to know what to do with that and how to magnify magnify that money to make sure that as a community, it goes further. So we don't do cooperative investing. And then next thing you know, during COVID, a lot of us became these new millionaires, e-commerce millionaires, right? Mm -hmm. And so once again, you have very rich, very poor. Then you like Gotham. I don't know if you know about what's happening in New York and around the United States in regards to, you know, second degree murder charge. You, until your court date, you're free. You pay your bail and you're free. Um, if you commit rape and a lot of other things like graffiti, whatever you do, instead of yeah. going to jail now, because they don't, they're like, oh, you know what, with COVID and all these diseases, you guys can just get released, pay your fine and, and be released back into the street. So it's like we're living like in a modern day Gotham City. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So when you think about that, we're due for this recession is coming. It's like, it's not a question about if it's coming, it's about when it's going to officially hit Assad. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have 
a personal financial advisor that you could ask questions to to help you navigate, you know, spending decisions, help you, you know, figure out investments that make sense for you to help you achieve financial success. Well, you no longer have to wonder that because we created that inside the Melanin Millionaires Club with our flagship feature, Pocket Advisor. With Pocket Advisor, it's just like it sounds. You have an advisor right in your pocket where you can ask a real expert, real questions in real time to help you navigate your journey towards financial success. So if you want to learn more about that, click the link in the show notes, go to melaninmoney.com forward slash pocket advisor to learn how you can get an advisor in your pocket for less than $2 a day. And how hard is going to hit? Will it be recession or depression? Exactly. And so this whole um, conversation about crypto, I'm like, well, guess what, fam? In a way, if you got in early enough, you're still doing good. Because if you have something like Solana, you might have got it at 90 cents. So even though it went up to 200 and change and now it's down to $33, you're like, guess what, though? I got it at 90 cents. So from 90 cents to 30 something dollars, hopefully you were smart enough to make some profits. But either way, you're not completely in the red and you haven't completely lost all your profits. And if you came in at the time when Ethereum was at 4,000 and change, you only truly lose if you fully sell it and you're not able to hold out until we rebound. But it might be a year and a half until we fully rebound in the crypto space or in the stock market space. Some of the things, unless you're daily trading and you're up there watching that market and, and option trading, which is volatile as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so the best things I think we can do are dividend investing, REITs, companies that, you know, like people don't realize, to give you an example, the FBI and the IRS and the CIA, their buildings that they actually house themselves in are actually owned by REITs most of the time. So the FBI, the CIA, the IRS are going to pay their rent. Right. So yeah. if you invest in a REIT that is in the stock, and I'm not going to say any particular names because I want people to be like, you said to buy this company, you know, so right. this is my professional advice, right. right? But my professional advice is, let's keep it real. When COVID happened, Chick-fil-A's line was like three, four blocks line, like walk, like legit, okay? So people were still going to Chick-fil-A and still wanted their chicken. So guess what? Chick-fil-A is owned by a REIT. Their buildings are made by a REIT and they're still building more locations. The FBI owned by a REIT, you know, their building is is in a REIT. They're going to pay their bill. A lot of the hospitals, guess what? During COVID and people were sick, we needed more hospitals. So hospitals weren't shutting down. They were opening up, right? And so those REITs were creating those hospitals and those buildings. And so if you're investing in the right companies, even throughout a recession, you can make sure that maybe you shift your company from companies that your money from companies that can't handle a recession that are going to definitely tank during a recession. And then also make sure that even in crypto, same thing, like what is your functionality? What's going to allow you to remain prevalent and stay around for another year to two years? What has longevity? And so I think people need to stop looking at the quick payday and look for the long-term payday. That's a fact. You just gave like a masterclass on, on fundamental investing. And like, yeah, I was, that, minutes, was, that right? was deep. Because it's like three, three key things that came out of that, right? Number one is like looking a layer down in your investing strategy. So to your point, Chick-fil-A is a, a great company, right? But the real business of Chick-fil-A, just like we all know with McDonald's, is, is the real estate. Okay, well, who owns the real estate? So forcing people to think a little bit more deeply about uh, their investment strategy, right? Because even though sometimes the underlying businesses could fluctuate from time to time, if you own an asset class, 
right, that is impacted by that, that's gonna gonna do well over over the, the long haul, then you're still in a good position, right? And then to your point about long term, right? So it's like if you're looking for these quick flip short plays, yeah, you're probably gonna get burned. But if you are strategic about buying things that you plan to hold for the foreseeable future, then that's gonna put you in a in a much better position. Yeah, there are some people, there are some outliers to your point who can find spots in the market and time it and know when to get in. But unless you're looking at charts all day, right? The, the average investor is not going to be able to do that, but you can still win in this game if you have a long-term mentality, right? So I think the statistic is at the 20-year mark, so far, at least in the stock market, right? Like if you invested for at least 20 years, uh, you have 100% success rate, right? So it's just like if you can have a long-time time horizon, uh, you almost guarantee your success. So now I, I love that. Those are some really, really great points Which- about yeah, those are really, really solid points. And so I believe that a lot of your philosophy um, is centered around children and financial literacy, starting with the child. And so I heard that you have a big project coming up in Ghana. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm so excited. So excited. So um, I'm building a youth-friendly event space in Accra, Ghana. Um, and it's interesting because I'm not even Ghanaian, but I'm a businesswoman. And so I remember yeah. between the safety levels of just being in Accra, um, as well, just seeing the potential of how much I, my money, how far my money can go there. I was like, this is it for me. And so the event space, a component of it, the upper floors of event space and the lower floors will be programs like, um, you know, something as simple as agriculture class, teaching them how to do vegetables, yield the land, uh, cannabis. You know, they just medicinally legalized cannabis in Ghana. So recently within the last year or two. And so just being able to teach a youth, like, how do you grow hemp? understanding that like hemp for instance hemp oil can be utilized for generators and things of that nature and it's something that's really invasive that you can grow easily um you know so also having like metaverse classes nft classes also doing um you know just robotics and coding and a lot of the workshops that should be taught but aren't taught and then of Mm. course like taekwondo and some of the like the afro ballet and like teaching the local language to tourists and expat community that is currently moving into the country um, so that you're not just an ignorant person living in a country that don't know the language. And so, um, you know, and cooking classes, all the fun stuff as well, besides the events. And then even down to our sound engineering floor, knowing that a lot of the sound engineering rooms around Ghana aren't really up to par. Um, mm-hmm. And so like knowing a few of the artists and people in the industry out there. So just being blessed to be like, okay, we're going to do a live band sound engineering room. So we'll have like someone who might have produced music for people like Jadena come out and or Burna Boy or somebody amazing like that come out and mm-hmm. teach a youth sound engineering so that not everyone is trying to be the, the artist and they understand like, hey, you know what? I could be a producer. I could be a sound engineer and make bare money from this. I could make tons of money just by being the behind the scenes person. And because realistically, a lot of times the artists don't make a lot of money. It's a yeah. long time for them to become, make a yeah. lot of money. Really and so, and it, and then it's an endorsement, right? So it's not even them most of the time that makes the money, it's the endorsements. It's not even the music itself that makes them the real money. It's the endorsement deals that makes them the real money. And so with that said, um, just teaching our youth out there different ways that they can do things. And what's really special about it is that we are teaming up with people like Ellie Talks Money and other influencers to make sure that like EYL, where we're actually going to have courses and all the things that we teach in person in Ghana, have those virtually so that we can have people worldwide be able to purchase it. And so our sustainable charity aspect is that for every event that we hold in the space, we're gonna take 10 to 20% of it 
to actually donate for local youth who can't afford the programming to attend for free. Um, and that's like so important to me. Like you said, children are so important to me. Like I have an infinite amount of patience and love for youth that I just don't give to adults sometimes. Because sometimes <laughs> I'd be like impatient. I'd be like, yo, fam, if you're this old and you don't know this, I'd be like, yo, don't even talk to me. But, um, you know, all jokes aside, when it comes to youth, I just feel like if you give them the tools, there's nothing that they can't do. And when you look at the Nikola Teslas of the world, you know, a lot of the greatest minds, you know, if you read certain books like, you know, The Richest Man in Babylon and you read certain books, the, the, the theme that you're going to read, you're going to notice is that oftentimes it's somebody who just needs a chance. Yeah, yeah. They just Man, need I'm, that education. So true. So, And I'm actually really excited about that. Uh, I want to talk offline and learn a little more about that project. I'm actually half Ghanaian myself. My, my mom was born here. My dad was born there. I've been there like three Brilliant. or four times, four times. And I own two properties over there. So I'm um, so, so excited to see the growth and the things that I was able to get exposed to as a kid, people are now recognizing like the opportunity that's out there. So really, really kudos to you for what you're building out Thank there. Thank you. So, Can I do one plug? I just want to mention yeah, one thing, like absolutely. real estate wise in Ghana, I just thought it was so crazy when I was doing the shift. People think like Ghana or in Africa, they don't realize how rich the, the, the people can be. Absolutely. And so I remember even doing my rentals. I started selling a lot of my U.S. rentals and buying a lot of my rentals in Ghana. And my friends were like, why are you doing that? And I was like, do you realize that for the amount I renovate something here, by the time I'm done, especially like Florida, Michigan, certain states, I might be getting 1500 if I'm lucky. But then the average rent you're going to get in Ghana, especially in the like places where you have that marble and granite, um, mm -hmm. you know, when you're like Laboni, some of the more fancier areas, you're going to get fifteen to $5,000. You know, it said you should get a health checkup at least once a year. My question is, when's the last time you had a financial health checkup? My guess, it's probably been a while. And that's why we created the Wealth Health Score. Whether you're financially out of shape or financially elite, the Wealth Health Score is going to tell you exactly where you stand and what things you can do to get into the best financial health possible. So visit MyWealthHealthScore.com to get your score today. You're getting $1,500. You're getting $3,000 a month. You're getting $5,000 a month. And just to renovate it with the marble and granite to the, to the caliber of what you would find in America, what's crazy about it is like, it's less, it's like a third of the price to renovate it and to get it to that level. But for a third of the price, you can get three properties at $5,000 a month each versus the one for $5,000 a month you would have been able to do in the United States. And so for that, me, for me, I was like, oh, I'm leaning in. And so it was really cool and interesting to kind of just learn the market out there and yeah. realize like, okay, you don't, it's not like certain countries and I won't shout out any particular country, but there are certain parts of Africa or the world, even in the United States, where you got to watch out for the deeds and things like that. But mm -hmm. if you can make the right connection, there is just like sky's the limit. Absolutely. So I, before we close, I, I guess I'm curious for our listeners and maybe even asking for a friend type question, like we always say on the show. Yeah. I think you have a very unique way of spotting opportunities and connecting the dots for people. So for someone who's listening to this show and they're like, man, like everything she's saying is great, but how does she see it before anybody else sees it? Right. Or what, 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 walk us through like your thought process, right. When you're trying to spot opportunities in the market right because right now even in the global markets in general right now there's a lot happening but for someone who's like man i want to be someone who can identify these different opportunities walk us through your, your thought process at a high level and how you think about these things and connect these dots 
I'm a problem solver, like end of story. So when I go to any country, any state, I look at what are the problems and is it a solution that I can think of? And sometimes the solutions are the simplest things. So sometimes it might be something that we take for granted in America mm. and bringing it back to another country. Um, sometimes when you're like looking at the stock market, it's like, okay, during COVID, I was shorting the market. So for my son's portfolio, we had JetBlue and certain aviation companies that I like, right? So the first thing we forget sometimes in investing is start at what you know. Don't go to what you don't know. So if you know you like to fly and JetBlue is your favorite and you hate spirit, then why would you invest in spirit and not JetBlue, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you're going to obviously pay more attention when you see JetBlue's name on the headline. You're going to obviously, if you like to fly them, maybe other people like to fly them like you do. And then you do the numbers. And so when COVID was happening and I realized, to give you an example, that guess what problem is going to arrive? People aren't going to be able to travel. So was the first thing I did was like, okay, well, I know that eventually they can't stop the world from traveling for the rest mm -hmm. of their life, right? So mm -hmm. I knew that for me, I'm going to short the market. What does that mean? I sold it when it was at $13 and started to go down. And then when it hit like $5.90, I was like, okay, I don't know if it's going to get any lower than this. But in my head, I was like, yo, fam, I'm going to jump in now. And I'm comfortable because even if this goes back up, I'm going to triple my money, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll triple my son's investment. And so to give you an example, one of the biggest things I do is like understanding what is the problem? What is the solution? If there's a problem where we can't fly, then why should I leave all my money in aviation? Because I'm not yes. going to get the same dividends and shares. But I also know that shorting the market is a good way to make a profit. And so I bought it back down when it was low and I just made sure I was definitely like mindful of not fearing, like, you know, that, that FUD of fearing, um, there's this thing in crypto called FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I mm -hmm. made sure I didn't operate from a space of FUD. I don't mm -hmm. let fear, uncertainty, and doubt make me be like, in my head, there was no doubt in my mind that we were going to be able to fly again. So I didn't right. let the, the thought process of, oh my God, it's been almost a year and a half, we can't get on a plane, make me feel like I'm going to sell it again. And sure mm -hmm. enough, JetBlue then went up to like $15, $14. And I was able to take something that I bought for like $5.90. And then when I saw a tide, just doing that market research and being able to know, okay, well, you know what? It averages at this. So if it averages at $15 or so, and it's hitting that number, do I really want to keep this many shares of it? Right. Have I made the number? And not being greedy and banking profits. Because a lot of times what we do is we get greedy. Mm -hmm. And we're not looking at the market to see, well, did they do something that's new that's going to allow them to break that $15 hump, right? So right. then JetBlue said, oh, we're going to start flying to England. But at that same point, I was like, well, your marketing was barely there. So is that going to be enough for me to feel like you're going to break that hump aggressively? Right. And so even when you look at companies like Apple, Apple would do things that would like, okay, what's the problem? Oh, we're having a shortage of chips, right? So if you hear them say, this is a problem, what is the solution? Somebody needs to create the chips. So when Apple says, oh, we're going to start creating our own chips, I was like, boom, I'm going to lean into Apple and invest more in Apple. Gotcha. Right? Because once again, problem solution. So anything in life that you're doing, if there's a problem, you need to find what is the solution. And if there's no solution to that problem, then you're wasting your money and your time investing in it. And that's my personal opinion. Yeah. And I, and I think some of what I took from what you just shared with us is some of the harsh truth that I don't think a lot of people like to take in is that you just have to put in the time learning the craft. So if you want to be a good investor, you have to put in the time to learn how investing works. Because unfortunately, you know, if you're listening to this and you're newer to investing, you're not going to jump out and be Dr. Valentin's uh, 
level of caliber. Like that's just not what's going to happen. Like it's levels to this. So you got to start where you are and use what you have. And so I know you offer a lot of really great resources for people who are just getting started, right? Um, Where can they find those resources? What do you, what do you offer exactly? So one of the things that I'm definitely in the middle of doing is um, as of 11-11, my master class that I do for crypto, I am no longer going to be doing it one-on-one anymore because I did it. It burnt me out. It was it was intense because I had like five professors working with me and I thought that people were going to go after them and they were like, no, we want to wait for Dr. Bellinson and I didn't see that coming. <laughs> um, and so what I did now, I teamed up with Thinkific, um, which is the same platform that Ellie Talks Money is on. Um, and, you know, I was looking at Teachable and Thinkific, Teachable Terry Ijoma's platform. And mm. I was like, you know what? Um, Thinkific was the one, the way for me to go. So as of 11.11, my crypto masterclass, which is the first one we're going to release, will be on there. And eventually I might release some other workshops like real estate, how to develop from real estate, um, develop from scratch or real estate syndication deals and teaching those kind of basics. Um, but for now, that is going to be the first thing publicly outside people can do. Um, starting off this end of this month, around the time of uh, InvestFest, October 31st, I will be definitely, which is um, head, headed up by EYL, shout out to them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing my Discord. So I have a Discord. It's called BMU Meta. So B as in boy, M as in man, U as in up, Meta, M-E-T-A. And what's cool about that is we're going to be putting like tips and things to watch out for and articles. I will say I'm not the whole, I'm not a big fan of telling people what things to purchase. Right. Um, that's just not that's not me but mm-hmm. i will teach you how to figure out what to purchase for yourself and teach you about stop losses and how to make sure that if you're not paying attention and something dips beyond a certain amount you can make sure that you're not you know lo- left holding the bag um and you're not like in a GameStop type situation um but mm-hmm. yeah so my discord is definitely gonna be something i'm gonna be way more active with and if anyone doesn't know what discord is uh think of it as like whatsapp but with bots so you can protect your following and make sure that one people don't know your mobile number two you can have less fake uh double up pages and people in there and there's just so much autonomy and and, uh, ai can support you as a person to connect more of your community um and so i'm really a big fan of the of the discord platform and what it allows you the amount of control allows you to have in communicating with your community and um those are going to be the two main things and outside of that, of course, the event space is more speaking engagements and just being more human um, and posting more on my social media, which if you guys are not following me at Jatali Bellington, there are, of course, fake pages out there. So be careful. Um, and so J-A-T-A-L-I-B-E-L-L-A-N-T-O-N. Um, yeah. And then there's also BME Meta. Yeah, we'll link to everything in the show. Okay, down. brilliant. BME Thank Meta, you. Your Instagram. Yeah anywhere else they can find you but this was this was dope i i was i was quiet a lot because i was taking notes on my computer if y'all wouldn't you know what I'm <laughs> thank like, you so, thank you so that was this yeah. was fire for me extremely helpful so i know it's gonna be helpful for our community well Amazing. thank you for the love it's it's humbling i'm i'm always happy to connect with my melanated people um, i just love the name of the pod i just love the name of it alone mm-hmm. um oh and january i let you guys be the first one to officially know it um but first quarter next year, January, I think it's one, two, three, 2023, mm-hmm. re- releasing a video podcast. And it's nice. going to be about parenting. Um, it's a parenting with a twist, parent to parent or not to parent, basically. And, um, you know, basically having these real raw conversations with people in regards to parenthood. 
So yeah. I'm really excited um, that that's a project that will be on the Earn Your Leisure uh, YouTube channel. Oh, nice. Um, nice. And so that's going to be, you know, that will be the first official new baby I'll be birthing for New Year's Eve. Amazing. Well, you, you have so many great things going on. Thank you so much for sharing so generously uh, with our audience. I know they're going to tap in and really embrace all the wonderful things that you have going on. And the last question we always like to ask our guests, uh, because, you know, it's no secret that we are super serving people of color, right? Um, what does being a melanin millionaire mean to you? Freedom, true freedom, like choice. To, you know, I can choose to love. I can choose to go. I can choose to come. I can choose to parent. I can, it's choice. It's freedom of choice. Um, you know, they say decisions are suicide. It's like suicide, decide. It's like you back yourself into a corner. You have really no options sometimes. Mm. And um, being a person of color, I feel like it's a privilege that most people don't have. And since I'm a water baby, I'm a Pisces, I like the sun and I like beaches. It um, it gives me that little access where I could go in the sun and, and, and lounge and chill. But I also, that millionaire aspect, give me that freedom to also do so as well. And Amazing. so that's what it means to me, um, especially because for so long we didn't have freedom. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, Melanin Money is, well, as of by the time this goes live, uh, it'll still be going on. We are starting our first official live podcast tour. And I'll go on record saying that when we visit, now we're not visiting the colder states until it warms up. Um, when we make our rounds to Chicago, New York, D.C., you'll be you'll probably be the first guest that we have back because we haven't done a repeat. Oh, thank yet. you. Uh, on our oh, show that's live because we need that energy live and in person. So thank you so much for for again for coming on the show and all the listeners make sure y'all follow her and tap in everything that she has going on until next time peace thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the melanin money show if you like this episode please do us a huge favor leave us a five-star review and if you're not already subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend because we're providing this valuable game so that you can level up as an aspiring melanin millionaire Again, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.